Good morning, Northridge. How are you guys? Good to see you. <clears throat> My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge, and we are so glad that uh, you are here. I want to welcome those of you watching online as well. We're grateful that you're with us. If you're a guest, it's your first time. We're so honored. We're not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand or anything like that, but we do want you to know that we hope that you'll feel right at home. So we're in a series called Relationship Jenga. And uh, it was supposed to end last week, technically, and then we just decided to add a couple more weeks to it and just kind of keep going. So that's what we're going to do. As long as we have work to do in our relationships, we'll just kind of keep going. But the, the whole idea of the series was that there's certain building blocks that all of our relationships need in order to be healthy relationships, right? And, uh, and then there's certain things, too, that can be very destructive, can bring the whole tower down if you're not careful. And today we're going to talk a little bit about comparison and about envy and how just destructive that can be when it comes to us trying to form healthy relationships with the people uh, in our life. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I fell in love for the first time. Her name was Melanie Goad. And uh, oh my gosh, I fell hard for this girl, like really hard. So we started dating and all that kind of stuff. And I, you, you kind of know when a relationship's kind of out of balance. Like it was obvious that I was more in love with her than she was with me. But I was like, I think over time I could win her over, right? It's possible. And uh, so it came time to like decide where I'm going to college and stuff. Uh, Melanie decided she was going to Western Kentucky University. So I was like, yeah, that sounds good to me too. Yeah, that's where I've been thinking and praying about going as well. Wow, what are the chances? That's awesome. And uh, some of you have heard me tell part of the story before, but uh, go to college, you follow her, it's going awesome. And then about three weeks into our freshman year, Melanie dumped me. And uh, now here I am stuck at Western Kentucky University for the next four years. And uh, a couple weeks after we broke up, she met this guy by the name of Jason, and they started dating. And you know how when you go through a breakup, really at any age, you go through a breakup, and hope, if your heart's in the right place, you want your ex to like do well and kind of move on. You just don't want them to move on with someone who has it more together than you, right? Like, that, that's kind of the, the game that, that's going on there. Well, Jason, unfortunately, was extremely tall and dark and handsome. Like, he was like the complete package, which I'm like, that stinks. Like, that's terrible. Like, you know, why couldn't it have been, you know, but that's the way it goes. So they date, they actually end up getting married. Um, they moved back to Nashville. I moved back to Nashville. We've all moved on, right? We've got families, everything's cool. One day, uh, after coaching my boys in baseball for a while, they're getting a little bit older, where they kind of wanted to be a part of like, you know, a, a better team if you will. And so I go and drop them off at baseball practice and guess who's coaching the team? <laughs> Stupid coach Jason's coaching the team, right? Kids get back in the car, they're like, dad, coach Jason, he's the best coach we've ever had. Coming? Are you kidding me? I'm like, this is this is terrible. So I haven't seen Coach Jason a couple times a week, right? And uh, one day we pull up to practice. Same time Coach Jason's pulling up to practice. Coach Jason pulls up in a BMW. My boys are like, wow, wonder what Coach Jason does. Like Coach Jason, he sells drugs, kids. That's what he does. 
I'm like, I don't know exactly that's what he does, but he's doing something illegal. Like, they're, like, they're, like you know, it's, it's got to be. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something about this guy, right? And so, of course, my boys who are at, love to ask questions, they get back in the car after practice, like, Dad, we asked him. He's a doctor. I'm like, <laughs> like, he helps people. He saves people's lives. I'm like, that's fine, boys. We are quitting baseball today. But you know what it's like, like, we all have people like that, if I were to ask you, you know, do you have anybody in your life you just don't like? A lot of you would be like, yeah, I don't like so-and-so. I mean, you know, you love them in Jesus' name, but you're like, I don't like them. And if I were to ask you, why don't you like them? You'd be like, I don't really know. I just, there's something about them. I can't put my finger on it. I, I don't know exactly. I just know I don't like them. But I bet... If we started to dig a little more, what we discover likely has happened is that they got ahead of you in some area of life, right? You perceive that they got ahead of you. Maybe they got somebody you didn't get. Maybe, you know, they got into the school that you couldn't get into. Maybe they bought the house that you wish you could have bought. Maybe they have the title that you wish you had, right? You can't put your finger on it, but really if we started to dig, they just got ahead of you in some area of life. And we don't like to admit that we're jealous or we're envious of other people, so we just kind of write it off as, I just, I really don't, I, I, don't, I don't like them. Now, sin is sin. But I think envy is one of the saddest sins out there because of what it does to our soul over time, right? Envy, I don't know this for sure, but I think that envy is the only vice that is never enjoyable. Like you could build a case, I guess, that lust, pride, slothfulness, drunkenness, lying, stealing, anger, at least could provide a very temporary form of satisfaction but not envy, it just, it never does. It's like this secretive, mean, soul-destroying sin that nobody ever wants to admit they struggle with. And yet, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, some of the saddest, most tragic, heartbreaking stories in the Bible have envy right at the center. It's right there. Like, you, the, at the very beginning in Genesis, the very first family, remember there's the brothers, there's Cain versus Abel. And Cain is envious of Abel and the favor of God that appears to be on Abel and not on him. And he kills him. There's Isaac versus Ishmael. There's Jacob who is incredibly envious of his brother Esau uh, because of the relationship that he has with their father. Joseph's brothers were so envious of him that they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. We're told that Leah is envious of Rachel because she had lovely eyes. Saul tries to kill David because he's envious of him. Miriam and Aaron, we're told, are jealous of Moses because of the position of leadership that he had that they didn't have. Matthew 27, we're told, for Pilate knew that it was because of envy that the religious leaders handed Jesus over to be crucified. It's all over the place. In almost every major story, we see some kind of layer of envy destroying a relationship. And so then we have to ask, okay, so why would we exactly talk about envy in comparison in a relationship series? And I think the simple answer to that is think about who you're envious of, who you compare yourself to. It's usually not people that are like way, 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 way ahead of you, right? Like you're not, 
you're not looking at the pictures from Jennifer Aniston's vacation being, you know, envious of her vacation. You're not comparing your house to Bill Gates's house, right? You're not comparing your small business operation to Elon Musk Corporation, right? Who do we compare ourselves to? We compare ourselves and we're envious of the person living next door to us. We compare and we're envious of our siblings, of our coworkers of our friends, of the people in the community group or the Bible study we're in. We become envious and we compare, sometimes even to our spouse. It was Aristotle who said, envy grows naturally in a relationship between equals, right? It breeds in proximity. That's why we gotta talk about this when we talk about relationships. It's destroying many of our relationships. And envy, it's like, Envy is like disliking God's goodness to someone else and dismissing God's goodness to yourself. Envy is desire plus resentment. Envy is anti-community. It goes against everything the Bible teaches us about relationships and health. I'll give you an example. Paul tells us in Romans, many of you have heard this before. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's like that, that's how community's formed, right? It's the way it works. You see someone who like, has a win in their life, celebrate with them. You see somebody heartbroken, meet them in the midst of that heartbrokenness, right? And, and, and instantly that empathy creates a connection. Envy does the exact opposite of this, right? Because what happens when you envy is you're gonna mourn with those who rejoice. Right? You're going to dislike God's goodness being shown in their life. You're going to dislike the win. You're going to dislike their talent. You're going to dislike their giftedness. And then you're going to rejoice with those who mourn. In other words, you're going to celebrate when someone falls, when someone slips, when someone goes through some kind of loss, because secretly it kind of makes you a little happier. Envy is dangerous because it always opposes other people. Sins like greed, lust, usually those things are about like the simple gratification of your own desires, but envy seeks not only self-gratification, it seeks to diminish the one that I envy. So envy is not just that I want more, envy is I want you to have less, right? That's what makes it so kind of dark. Now, how, how, do, how do you know if you struggle with envy in comparison in your life? Let me, let me just give you a couple questions that might kind of help you out a little bit. Do you find yourself belittling the accomplishments or the talents or the appearance of others in an effort to sabotage the person to whom you feel inferior? So you think about like the conversations you've had over the past week around the family dinner table or maybe with your roommate late at night what are you talking about? Like, are, is it just a lot of negative talk that's belittling other people, what they're doing? You don't like their motive. You don't like the way they're doing it. You're suspicious that maybe they're somehow cheating to get ahead, but it's just a lot of negativity to sabotage the people around you. Are you secretly pleased when a friend or even a loved one suffers a setback? Who do you secretly want to see fail? It, it isn't that's just so dark. Like if I asked you to raise your hand, if you struggle with that, nobody's going to raise their hand. We're all too embarrassed to admit it. But I'll tell you, that happens to me from time to time. Time to time, I, I hate this about me. But if I'm honest, every once in a while, like there's somebody, again, I just don't like them. 
And I just think to myself, man, I just kind of hope they trip and fall on their face. And that's so dark. Are you exhausted from trying to keep up with everybody in your life? Are you broke from trying to keep up with everybody in your life? Are you allowing what others have to keep you from enjoying what you have? It's like, it's like you can't even enjoy God's blessings in your life and God's goodness to your life. You can't enjoy the relationships you have. You can't enjoy the job you have. You can't enjoy what you drive or where you live. Because secretly, like, you just are looking at everybody else and what they have. And so you, you can't even get it. See, what happens when we're constantly comparing ourselves, the, the, the best way for me to describe it is that we, we like to look to our left and to our right to see what everybody else is doing. And the moment you start to look to your left and to your right and compare yourself to other people, what happens is you're transported into what I call the land of Ur, E-R, the land of Ur. It is a land where everyone is richer than you, skinnier than you, taller than you, hipper than you, happier than you. Everybody is something Ur than you, right? It's a land of, hey, do you know what the, the main mode of transportation is into the land of Ur? Social media. It'll get you there so fast, right? It will. Everybody clapping. Can't wait to get back to the car and check, see what happened while we were in church, right? Now, I get, listen, I'm an anti-social media. I love it. I, I, I use it. I think it's a phenomenal tool. I, I think it's a great way we can inspire people. We can point people towards God's love. We can encourage one another. I love keeping up with a lot of you guys. and stuff. I, I enjoy it. I, I really do. But I'm telling you, if you're not careful, it'll get you there so fast, Right? And you're just scrolling, right? You're just scrolling through there. And you're like, oh, gosh, I wish I was prettier. You know, I wish I had hair like their hair. Uh, I, like, you know, I wish my friends were better looking. Like, they got really good looking friends. I wish I could go on vacation there. I wish I lived there. I and you're just scrolling. And it's this constant reminder to you of what you're not. You have to be real careful because it can become so fast. This, and it is. It is this. It is a showcase is all that it is. It is a showcase for our accomplishments, our vacations, our good looks. But if you're not careful, it can make you start to think that you should always be somewhere else doing something else with someone else. And so you, you, gotta, you gotta keep it in check. And, and listen, envy is something that people have struggled with from the beginning of time, but man, we have some unique tools in our culture today that can transport you into that land of earth so fast where you start to feel like you don't measure up. Now, because this has existed for so long, the wisest man who ever lived several thousand years ago, King Solomon, actually had this beautiful little piece that he talks about envy in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter four. I, this verse, verse four, I've preached on before in a different context. The following verses after this, I don't think I've ever preached on in my life. And this week, for whatever reason, I kind of read it with some fresh eyes. But man, he, King Solomon's so wise. And he's actually going to ask a question here in a couple verses that is going to absolutely destroy some of you in a good way, a good destroy. Like, it's going to rock your world. 
because it did mine this week, and I think it's an important question to ask. We'll get there in just a second. But he starts in verse 4, and he says that I saw that all toil and all achievement, to, toil, by the way, is just work. I think specifically it's incessant work, right? So I saw all this toil, all that hustle, that'd be a good word in our culture. I saw all this hustle and all this achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This, too, is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. You ever chased after the wind? Probably not, because we kind of all know that, like, what, what would the purpose of that be? Like, chasing after the wind is, is like, you're never going to win that game, right? There's, there's no contentment. It's pointless. If I tell you to go chase the wind, I'm guaranteeing you dissatisfaction. You're never going to catch it. You're just going to keep going, running forever, trying to catch it. He's, he's kind of saying, hey, this is how ridiculous this game of envy and comparison is for the human race. It's like competing with people who don't even know that there's a competition. That's what he's saying. He said, it's just meaningless. It goes nowhere. And what happens when you focus your life on something that's meaningless? What, what happens to your life when you focus on something meaningless? What becomes your life? Your life becomes meaningless, right? When you focus on something meaningless long enough, then your life becomes meaningless. He says, it's just it's chasing after the wind. He goes on in the next verse. He says, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility, tranquility just being peace, right? Serenity, worry-free, a life that I think the vast majority of us would love to live more than the two weeks of vacation that we get in a year, right? He's talking about like a peace of mind. You ever met someone that just had tranquility, peace, they were worry-free, like there's something about them that's unbelievably attractive, right? Because you think, I want to live my life that way. He said, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil or hustle and chasing after the wind. And the obvious comparison he's saying is that many of us have given up one handful of tranquility for two handfuls of hustle, trying to work so hard to keep up with everybody else in our life. Trying to outdo this person, trying to outdo that person. You're constantly looking to your left, you're constantly looking to your right to see where everybody else is out. And, and, and he says this, it leads to this life where there's no contentment. And so the idea here is to focus on God's goodness to you. Um, I grew up in a, a little Baptist church, traditional church, and uh, we had something, you, some of you have never even seen this before. We, we had something called a hymn book. It, it, was a, it was a book full of songs. And every Sunday, like the worship leader would pick out like a, a, a song. It'd be like, hymn number 144. And everybody would turn in the book. Like they didn't have slides. Like you had to work to worship. Like you had to find a page in the book right? To be able to sing the song. But there was a song, a hymn called uh, Count, Count Your Many Blessings. Remember the, those of you kind of go, it was count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God had. Where's Evan when you need him? Like, <laughs> but you get the idea, right? Like it, but I, the song never really made a lot of sense to me, but now it does. I get it. The song was count your blessings, not count everybody else's blessings. You count your blessings 
You focus on God's goodness to you in your life, and your life becomes a life that's full of gratitude, peace, gratefulness, and worship. The moment you start trying to count everybody else's blessings, mm -mm, it's going to go downhill real quick. That is a life of no peace. That is a life of striving and hustle. That is a life of chasing the wind. And it seems silly, but man, oh man, how many of us have traded one handful of tranquility for two handfuls of toil and work and striving and comparing and trying to keep up with everybody around us. Next verse, verse 7, he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Which, when he says under the sun, it's just a phrase for, I see something meaningless here on earth, right? He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. That's, a, that's an interesting phrase there, it, because sadly, in this culture, you couldn't leave an inheritance to a woman. And so... Um, what it's saying there is there's this guy, he's all alone. He literally has nobody to leave his wealth to. Everything he's working for, like his life, he has nobody to leave that to. And it says there was no end to his toil, no end to his hustle, right? The guy just doesn't stop. He's working himself to death. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of adjournment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. I love that, a miserable business. Some of you know all about that, right? Your life right now feels miserable. You're working hard, you're doing hard, like you're doing all the stuff, right? You're doing all the things, like it's every day, oh, I gotta post this perfect picture, I gotta find a filter, I gotta make this just right. I, I want people to think I have it together and, and I'm working so hard to try to make my boss happy, you know, and I'm, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that and, you know, our kid turns three next week and I gotta have the Pinterest perfect birthday party for her, for him. Like you're doing all the things and yet you feel absolutely miserable. You see the question he asked? Oh man, this, this question. For whom am I toiling? Man. So Solomon's like, there's this guy who's just doing more and more and he finally stops, right? Stops long enough to just ask a question. This is an important question. It's an important question for all of us, but especially for those of us, this is me, I'm kind of wired to naturally be ambitious. You, you give me a goal, and I'm gonna do everything I can to like hit that goal. I just, I, I like producing, I like working, I, I like to be an ambitious person. I like to be surrounded by ambitious people. It's part of what I do in my life is I help people meet their most important goals. I help them chase after their most important dreams. I love it, I love progress, I love accomplishment, I love checking things off, right? But every once in a while, y'all, we gotta stop and ask a really important question. And the question is this, who are you doing this for? I mean, really, who are you doing all this for? Like the, the 80 hour work week, who are you doing that for? I, I know the answer you'll give me. You'll tell me your family. It's not for your family. Let's ask your family. Let's ask your family. If they really want you working 80 hours a week, no, 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 no. They, listen, they, they just want more of you. 
Who are you doing this for? The absolute perfect picture presenting that perfect image. Who are you doing that for? Buying all this stuff that you don't need and you can't afford. Who are you doing this for? Like, who are you trying to impress? Whose love are you still trying so hard to earn? Whose approval are you trying to get? That one question, I'm telling you, that one question drives right down to why we do all this comparing and why we do all this envy in our relationships. And honestly, it comes from a very innocent place. So I, I hope you don't feel uh, any judgment coming from me because I'm right there with you. I struggle with all this. And it really is born out of a very innocent desire where we want to feel like we're enough. And how do I know? Right? How do I know if I'm smart enough? How do I know if I'm good looking enough? How do I know if I'm gifted enough? How do I know if I'm athletic enough? How, how do I know all these things unless I just look to my left and look to my right at the people around me? Like, how do I know if I'm enough? Like, it just seems natural. I'm going to look around me and see how everybody else is doing as a parent. See how everybody else is doing what they're doing in their marriage. To see what everybody else is earning at work. See what everybody else is doing in athletic. Like, how else do you know? Right? I mean, how else do I know unless I jump on my phone and flip through Instagram? If I'm doing all the right things. If I'm being the right person. If I'm surrounded with the right people. Like, how do I know if I'm enough if I don't look to my left and to my right, how, how do I know if I measure up? How do I respond to that constant voice in the back of my head that's saying, are you worthy? Are you enough? And the answer is simple, but it's not easy, right? The answer is well, to really know if you're enough. Stop looking to your left and looking to your right and look up. Because looking up, looking up is the only way you can truly find an answer to this question of am I enough? And listen, you're never going to experience, you're never going to experience God's purpose for your life when you're always looking over your shoulder and you're distracted by God's purpose for somebody else. You're never going to find it there. You're never going to find it there. You're only going to find it here. And here's what I believe about every single one of you that's in this room right now, every single one of you watching this online, I believe every one of you, God has given you a purpose, right? You are not on this earth by accident. You have a purpose. He has given you a race to run. And yet you're so concerned about what's going on in the lane next to you that you're missing the race he's given you. Stop, stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane, run that race. Don't worry about this guy over here that you think's going too fast, try to keep up with him. Don't worry about this guy over here that you think's going too slow. Don't, don't worry about her over there in that lane over there who, who somehow has a lot more stuff than you have or her stuff looks better than you. Listen, listen, stay in your lane, run your race, parents. God's given you a race to run, right? You've got these precious kid or kids that God's given you. Stop, stop looking at the other kid's birthday party and trying to keep up with that. Just run your race. Stay in your lane, right? Those of you who are married or dating, like God's given you a race to run inside of your relationship. Stop comparing your relationship to everybody else's relationship. 
Listen, so many of us are missing God's purpose for our life because we're so distracted by looking at God's purpose for somebody else's life and somebody else's relationships and somebody else's work and somebody else's giftedness. Just run your race. Stay in your lane and let go. Just let go of the lanes around you because here's the beauty. Letting go of what's not for you creates space for what is. Ever thought about that? I'm telling you, it's a beautiful thing. When you let go of what's not for you, it creates space for what is for you. And some of you got to let go of this looking to the left and looking to the right because you're missing what God has for you. And as long as you look to the left and to the right to answer that question of am I enough, you're never going to feel like you're enough because you're living in the land of Ur and somebody's always going to be richer and prettier and skinnier and faster and happier. Always. So the goal here is to learn to look up. The goal here is to begin to see yourself the way God sees you. And how does God see you? Let me, let me just walk you through a couple verses. Isaiah 49 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget. It's, it's kind of an interesting verse because the, the, the illustration he's saying here is that, hey, your mom, your dad, no matter how much they loved you, they were human. So is it possible that they could forget you? They could over, o- overlook you? Is it possible that maybe they didn't meet one of your needs? Absolutely. Not only is it possible, it's probably likely, right? But God says, I will not forget you. It's interesting because I know exactly why some of you look to the left and to the right trying to answer the question of, am I enough? And the reason you do it is because, unfortunately, you grew up in a home where for some reason your mom or dad could not give you the love that you deserved. I don't know why, and I'm sorry, it's heartbreaking to me that you had to grow up in that environment, but it left a void, right? And so you've spent your whole life looking to the left and looking to the right, comparing yourself to siblings, comparing yourself to coworkers, comparing yourself to friends and neighbors, trying to answer a question, am I enough, that your parents should have been able to answer for you and they just, for one reason or another, couldn't. God says, they may have forgot you, I will never forget you. Jeremiah 31 says, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Everlasting love. I know exactly why some of you spend your life looking to the left and looking to the right, trying to answer the question of, am I enough? You know why? Because somebody promised you an everlasting love and they failed miserably. Somebody looked you in the eyes and says, I love you and I will love you forever. And they didn't. And it broke your heart. And ever since that day, you just keep on looking to your left and to your right, looking to another relationship, looking to other people's relationship, trying to answer the question of, am I enough? And God says, no, 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 you gotta understand. My love, it's everlasting. It's not going anywhere. Romans 5 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still, see, I know exactly why some of you look to the left and to the right to answer the question of, am I enough? And the reason is because all you've ever known is conditional love. That's all you've ever known. In every relationship, in every environment you've ever been, it's conditional. If I do this, this, and this, they will love me. 
But if I do this, this, and this, they won't love me. And so you keep trying to answer the question of, am I enough by looking to your left and looking to your right? Because everything seems so conditional. But God says, my love for you is not conditional. While you were still a sinner, on your worst day, the worst thing you've ever done as a human being, I died for you. My love is not conditional. It's not based on your righteousness. It's not based on your promises. It's not based on you jumping through some kind of hoop or dotting an I or crossing a T. My love is not conditional. It's so different from human love. It's different. You don't have to earn it. It's yours. And it brings me to this, I think, really interesting point. And let me, let me say this before we wrap up, because this is so important. I, I don't think, and I could be wrong, I don't think envy is something that we ever completely eradicate from our lives. I just don't. I think it's not a problem to solve, it's a tension to manage. So no matter where you are on your spiritual growth continuum, you're, you're going to wrestle with this from time to time, right? And I think the goal is that when you feel that coming on, when you feel that temptation to look to your left and look to your right to answer the question of, am I enough? When you're tempted to compare yourself to somebody else, I, I think the goal in that moment is just to stop and say, Envy, you are not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not falling into that temptation. You're not the boss of me, not today. I'm not gonna chase the wind. I know where that leads. To complete dissatisfaction, complete failure. I'm not gonna chase the wind. Envy, you are not the boss of me. You know, on a human level, envy is why the cross existed. Yeah, again, Matthew 25, we talked about at the very beginning of the message that Pilate admitted is because of envy that the religious leaders brought Jesus to be crucified. It's, it's like, you know, Jesus was getting quite popular. Lots of people were following him. Religious leaders did not like that. They were incredibly envious of him. So they came up with a plan to kill him. We're going to put him on a cross. And Jesus said, well, I got a plan to kill envy. And that cross where you think you're going to kill me, actually what's going to happen is I'm going to kill envy. Because of that cross and what's about to happen, nobody will ever have to wonder for a second if they are worthy. Nobody ever will. Just look to the cross. Look to the cross to answer the question of am I worthy? Am I valuable? Stop looking to the left and the right and look up. So I want to pray two prayers as we close today. One prayer is for those of you who have never accepted Jesus into your life. You've never accepted what he did on the cross to be applied to your sins. And I would love to lead you in a simple prayer to do that. And then my second prayer is just for all of us. All of us who struggle with envy and struggle with comparison and are tempted from time to time to look to our left and look to our right to answer this question of am I enough? Right? It's... It was never God's plan for our lives to live that way. And not only can you not become the person God created you to be when you try to look to your left and to your right, but also when you look to your left and your right and you compare, you're killing the relationships on your left and on your right. Destroying them with envy. Because you can't love somebody and be envious of them. You just can't. So I'm going to pray for you and for me, especially this week that as we feel that temptation and we just push back with the envy, you're not the boss of me. I'm not chasing the wind today. Let's pray. First, again, I wanna pray for those of you that are maybe here that have never accepted Jesus into your life. 
whether you're here in this room or you're watching online right now, um, if you feel prompted to, maybe just in your heart, it's as simple as just saying, dear God, um, I want what your son Jesus did on that cross to be applied to my sin problem. I know that I need forgiveness. And I wanna go your way, not my way. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. God, for the rest of us that are here today who really struggle sometimes with answering this question of am I enough? And some of us wrestle with that because we haven't received the kind of love that we felt like we needed or deserved. Some of us are looking to our left and our right because we're just incredibly insecure and we feel like there's no other way to answer the question of am I enough, am I smart enough, am I good enough, other than looking and comparing and then becoming envious. But God, I pray that today you will help us have some phenomenal tools from your word that remind us to ask really important questions like, who am I doing this for? God, when we feel that temptation, I look to the left and the right. Give us the courage, give us the power, give us the strength to instead look up, to remember that we are enough, not even because of who we are, but because of who you are and because you've called us to be your own. For it's in your holy and your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, before we leave, a couple really important things, okay? First of all, if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to know. We'd love to come alongside you and encourage you. All you have to do is text the word Northridge, the 31616, all right? Second thing you need to know about is that we have a prayer team down front. They would love to pray with you after this service. And the third thing, this is huge, all right? Did you guys get this when you came in? All right, this is about voluntary. It takes thousands of people to make this church live out the vision that God's given us, right? And we need your help. And so this pamphlet will walk you through all kinds of great volunteer options. There's also a QR code you can scan for more information or to sign up. But also right outside in the lobby in 16 Central, we have all these booths set up that represent all these different serving opportunities where you can actually go by and talk to somebody about what it's like, uh, how much time does it take, you know, what kind of people would be good at this. Listen. I think one of the most important things that you can do is to give your life away in the act of service. And we would love for you to join us, be a partner with us here, and help us continue to live out the vision that God has for us. So if you take a second to look at this or stop by a table on your way out, that would be awesome. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll see you next weekend for Father's Day. God bless.